morning, church. How are you doing? I always love the Jaws references and looking around. Um, side note, when I was little, anybody feel this way? When you were little, you were like jumping in the ocean. You could just like start swimming. And now you're like, you're older. You know what's out there. You're like, no, nah, I ain't getting past about right there. Anybody, anybody else that way? I remember just swimming out and like just swimming and you go, ah, not a care in the world. And you see those little videos of the satellites above and you see like just like 30 yards offshore and all the stuff that's out there. You're like, no, I'm not going. I'm good right here. I'm waiting in the, in the, deep, in the shallow end this morning. Um, welcome, Ports community. Uh, we're so glad you're here, whether you're in person or you're watching online. We're super glad you're with us this morning. Um, if you're checking this out for the first time, if you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. We love you. Uh, if you don't have a place to call home, um, uh, we would love to be that. Uh, we believe in what God's doing here. That's not about us. It's about what God is doing among our people, and uh, we, we love that, and we're so glad to hopefully get to meet you and, and get you connected somehow. We are in week six of our summer, ser- summer series excuse me, called Something in the Water. All right, if you couldn't tell, uh, the little Jaws reference there. And we're looking at, what we've been doing is we're looking at different passages in Scripture, in the Bible, involving water, of course. Um, And as you heard earlier in the welcome video, you're going to hear about our Stir High School mission trip to New Orleans, Louisiana. We took two weeks ago, and uh, we want to share all that God did there as part of today's message. But uh, before we do that, uh, if you are a student or a leader that went on the trip, and you're here today, I want you to stand up real quick. Now, you can't see this online, but, but for the people here, I want you to stand up. Oh, come on. It's not going to kill you. Stand up. It's all good. But I, I look at students like, oh, he's asking me to stand up. Oh, my gosh. You can sit down. We had an amazing week. Um, you're going to hear from one of our students, one of our seniors that went on the trip here in a second. But before we do, uh, one of our students uh, made a video uh, she has a, a, a vlog that she, she does, and she made a video while down there. I didn't know she did this until she sent me the video. Uh, Britton Brown, one of our students, and uh, she's not here today, but she just moved, actually, which we're really, really sad about, but she's promised that she'll come back for big events and stuff and be a part of us. She'll always be a part of our family, but I want you to take a look at this video she made, and it'll give you an idea of kind of, the, of what, we, what we experienced there in New Orleans two weeks ago. There's a lot of fun moment. We did have a lot of fun, we didn't we? We had a great, a lot of fun. Uh, the, the things that we couldn't film were some of those moments that you saw one or two where knelt down and, and, and talking with and praying over the people in the streets of New Orleans. Um, amazing um, ministry. One of the things that we were challenged with, all of us, was that every person on the trip, leaders and students, were challenged that they, before the week was out, in fact, by midweek, that they would share their story with someone else on the trip, and then they'd go out and share it with someone in, in, in the French Quarter or wherever we were serving. And that's amazing. I've never been on a, a trip where every person, every person was challenged to not hide behind the, the, the mass of the group, that every person was challenged to think about what God has done personally for them through the person of Jesus Christ, and to share that verbally with someone. Amazing challenge. And, and to my knowledge, every person on the trip did so. That was amazing. Amazing time. This is Alyssa Turner, everybody. She's one of our seniors that just graduated high school. And I've asked her to share a brief testimony about uh, the trip. 
Okay, is it on? It's on. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> going into the trip, didn't know what to expect. I was super nervous, as most people were. Um, had been on a mission trip before with STIR, but we were really excited to go to New Orleans this year. And um, it's hard to put into words how incredible that week was. It, it was so awesome. So, um, going into it, first day, we got split up into groups, and it was amazing getting to be in a group of people you didn't know, get to know new faces. Um, so, my group, I was with Allison and Jacob Layton, and we got to go to a local church and fill um, grocery bags and hand those out to people. And then later, we stayed at the church, and we got to clean and help out in any way we could. Um, so, that was, that was really awesome. And then that next day, we did street ministry. And we walked around in the New Orleans heat and rain and humidity and um, talked to people, locals, tourists, um, homeless people. And uh, it, was, it was crazy seeing everyone being led by the Spirit and um, going to talk to people and uh, just sharing our experiences with them. And uh, before we left that day, me and a couple other girls um, got to talk to this one uh, veteran. His name was Sundance, and he has been there since he was 21 and now 69. And um, we got to get to know him and then pray over him. And then afterwards, he actually prayed over us. So that was an awesome time, really um, made the 5 a.m. morning worth the whole day. Um, the next day, uh, a couple of people went out to um, homeless camps and passed out food and talked to people. And that afternoon, we actually threw a block party for um, neighborhood kids and families. And uh, everyone had a station you saw in some of the, the videos. There was bounce houses, dunk tanks. Um, food, all of it. It was all there, and it was really cool just seeing everyone um, uh, be so tired by the end of that day, but still putting in effort and giving a smile and um, working hard until the very last moment until we finally got to eat that night. Um, so that was that was a lot of fun. And then that last day was our cultural day, and kind of we got to be tourists, go shopping, um, eat beignets, uh, take pictures, do all the fun things. And um, what made this day the most special, in my opinion, was that there was little groups that um, didn't just take pictures and shop and walk around, but they actually went out and witnessed to people still on this free day and talked to people and prayed over people, and that was just amazing to see. And, I mean, I could go to that, back to that moment every day. And um, we actually did get to see Sundance again that day and tell him we'd been praying for him, and so it really made, like, the whole week full circle, and just seeing God in that moment was incredible. And then at the end of each day, we came back to the church that we were staying at, and we got to um, worship and hear a message from James Cook, who was kind of in charge of the whole trip. And um, like Justin said, we got to pair up and tell testimonies. And I mean, that alone is hard enough to, to say the least. So it was really cool um, seeing everyone and being in that moment, like take a leap in their faith and um, do that. So it was really cool to be able to apply that in our conversations that week. And um, I know on behalf of everyone on that trip, no one wanted to come home on that last day. We all wanted another week. We all um, felt like a family by the end of it, all the inside jokes, all the laughs, all the late nights, and um, no one wanted to come home. And uh, like James said one night that really stuck with me is that uh, New Orleans was just a trial run of things that we can do here in Valdosta. And the same God that's in New Orleans is here with us in Valdosta, and we're able to take that boldness and that eagerness to go talk to the homeless people on the streets. We can bring that here to um, Valdosta and really make a difference here in our community. And so um, we, I know I and everyone else was super thankful for our porch family that was here praying for us that week and thinking of us and um, for Justin and Allison and all of our leaders that were there. We're super thankful for all y'all that were there and uh, 
praying for us, and yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa. Hopefully you get a taste between the video and her testimony uh, that this was not a Christian vacation, right? We don't take Christian vacations. We, we wanted to go and, and not only serve those people, but we wanted to meet Jesus face-to-face for ourselves as well as individuals, right? Um, and and I, I, that goes for the leaders as well. I didn't go on this trip with the mindset that I'm leading a trip and I'm going to sit back and watch our students do anything. I, I wanted to experience Jesus for myself, for me. I wanted to look into the face of Christ when I looked into the eyes of someone on the streets of New Orleans, and we certainly had those moments. So in this series, we want to tie this into this Something in the Water series today and just the servant heart behind what we felt like this trip was all about. And so today, uh, obviously, water, we're, we're looking at water as an essential of life. And Jesus certainly spoke, used this to speak to humans in terms that they could understand. And so today, we're going to look at what I believe is one of the most moving moments in, in Jesus' life while he was here. And it was one of his last, last moments. It's a stunning moment. It's a shocking moment. It's a profoundly holy moment. We're turning in our Bibles to John chapter 13. And if you, if you have a Bible, turn there with me. Go ahead and turn. It's the last night of Jesus' life as a free man. Of course, he and his disciples had just finished up dinner. And uh, before that, at some point, there was an argument among the disciples. You know this, some of you many of you, as to who was the greatest. It's ironic that that would happen knowing what was about to happen. Stunning, shocking, and holy moment. Chapter 13 begins what is known as the Upper Room Discourse. Um, There's several of these discourses uh, uh, throughout the, the Gospels. Um, and what that means is, is they were important addresses where Jesus addressed his, his followers. And he said, this is important. You need to remember this, right? And, and there are several of them ending with the final one, which is the upper room discourse, which is chapters 13 through 18 in the book of John, which is Jesus' final proclamation to his followers before he was arrested and crucified. And so here... Again, we see God using the medium of water to communicate a profound theological point. Let's read together in chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the end. It's really important. Underline that. Highlight it. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had, that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel 
around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, I don't under- you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Never. It's a long time. You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Okay, this is, this is big. He said, unless you let me do this, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. You're not going to see the kingdom of heaven unless you let me wash you clean. Think about that for a minute. Sit on that for a second as we, as we, as we read further. You can't be a part of what I'm doing unless you let me do this. That's a, that has significance later on. Simon Peter exclaimed after hearing this, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. He's like, oh, look, if you're going to, you know, okay, I was kind of weird about the, the feet thing for a second, but I, I'm, I'm all in, right? Head to toe, God. Wash me head to toe. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, referring to Judas. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant by saying, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I'm doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, a few points here. All right? Let's get this out in the open. Feet are nasty. How about that for a deep theological point? Feet are nasty. Nasty. I hate feet. My wife can tell you. I hate my feet, your feet, everybody's feet. Feet are nasty. Folks, they are nasty. They're not pretty. They're not pretty. I don't care how many petties you get. Feet are not pretty. They're nasty to me. To me. Right? I've only come across a few people that that are flip-flop wearers all the time. You ever know those guys, those people, guys and girls that are flip-flop wearers 24-7, seven days? Like, even in the cold of of winter, February in South Georgia, bitter cold, and they have flip-flops on. What is the deal with that? Joshua Harrell. No, forget the flip-flops. He's barefooted most of the time. Feet are nasty. They're nasty. Man, I hate feet. (laughs) You won't see me walking around barefooted much. I'm like, oh, my feet. I'm like so insecure about my feet. I'm like, oh, nobody wants to see these things. And back in Jesus' day, they were especially nasty. 
Most went barefoot. Some wore what we consider sandals, no socks, mostly dirt roads, lack of regular bathing opportunities, and you get nasty, stank feet. Sorry, the South Georgia came in, out in me a little bit. You get nasty feet all the time. Everybody's feet were nasty. Jesus' holy feet were nasty. It's not sacrilegious to say that. But our feet are important here in this story. Feet are our foundation. Our feet are our foundation. When we stand up, we stand on our feet. We can't stand without them. We can't go anywhere without them. In Jesus' time, your feet were the mode of your transportation. Primarily, for the vast majority of people, we walk, they walked everywhere. Without feet, you don't go anywhere. Without feet, you are stationary. Now, today, we can just get somewhere and ride in a car. You know, and if our, you know, push come to shove, if our feet aren't working, we can use a wheelchair and other means to get around. But back then, if your feet didn't function, you, st- you sat still. You didn't go anywhere. And it's important to note here in this story. Most importantly, in Scripture, feet represent something greater than that. It represented the carrying of the good news to all the world. The feet represented the, the carrying of the good news. And in New Orleans, it's interesting. Now, we, we've, we've vanned over there in, in vans, right? But once we got there, we'd, we'd, we'd van, we'd tr- drive into the city. But once we got there, we'd park, and we were on foot the whole time. We went to Boston two summers ago. We were on foot the entire time. We took a, a, a big old bus up there, and they dropped us off for the week. We were on foot the whole way. And I think it's interesting to note that that's Jesus is, 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 is drawing attention to feet. When he washes, he washes feet. It says in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news, the good news of peace and salvation. Also, there's a precedent for washing feet. This isn't the first time. Just one chapter earlier in John 12, we see a broken woman washing Jesus' feet with her own tears, breaking the alabaster jar and pouring the expensive oil all over Jesus' feet, wiping them dry with her hair. This was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, offering any human had given Jesus while he was here on earth. And Jesus said, surely wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's going to be remembered for her act. And so she was. It was a true sign of brokenness and humility and surrender to Christ, her Savior, Lord, and Healer. Jesus knew he was her only hope and her salvation. And she owed him everything. And we get to John chapter 13. We read that they had gotten done with supper and Jesus puts a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. I want to make a statement here, and I want you to let it sink in and try to digest this. I believe the chief sin, the root sin, is pride, selfishness. Now, no sin is greater than the other in the context of Jesus dying for sin. 
but I believe the root sin, and my students have heard me say this a lot, I believe the root sin in life is pride. Are you with me? Every sin can come, does come from pride and selfishness, does it not? Every sin comes from pride. We get a little too full of ourselves, we get a little proud, sin enters in. It comes out the mouth, it comes out in our, in our words and actions, we're eat up with pride. Pride, folks, will keep people out of heaven. Pride will be the main thing that keeps people out of heaven. So this story is about not just the swallowing of pride, but the complete obliteration of human pride. That's what it's about. It's not about swallowing pride. You swallow it, it comes back up. We're talking about destroying pride in your own life, in my life. I believe with all my heart that the greatest deficit as Christians is our lack of humility. The greatest detriment to the world is the lack of humility of so-called Christ-following believers. I'll give you an example. I met a guy named Devlin on the streets of New Orleans. Some of our students, uh, especially the guys, had, we had deep conversation with Devlin. And Devlin knew what he was talking about. Devlin was homeless. He was on the streets there. And he told me, Devlin, Devlin told me that he used to be a Sunday school teacher. I, don't, I can't verify that. But what I can verify is that he knew Scripture. And he knew all about so-called Christians. He said almost all Christians that he'd ever come in contact with were arrogant. Arrogant. They had all the answers. And they would argue with him to prove their point, to win the argument. That's not how we minister to a dying world, folks. That's not it. It ain't going to happen that way. See, they were only trying to win the argument instead of humbly engaging interesting to note, and I, I believe this is extremely heartbreaking, and I sat there and talked to Devlin for, for a long while, and I thought to myself, oh, gone Christians. We, and I, I looked at him, him in the eye, and, I, and, and one of the things that, that we were, were reminded of, our, our, our resident missionary, James Cook, who, who uh, is a full-time missionary, and he leads all of our trips and he, he reminded all of us that when you talk to someone, you don't stand while they're sitting or they're on the ground. You stand over them and talk to them or at them. You get down. You get down on a knee. You get down where they're at. You look them straight in the eye. In fact, if you can get lower than them, you get lower than they are. And I, at, at the moment I was talking to Devlin, I thought to myself, I need to get in the right posture physically. And so I got down like this. And this is uncomfortable after a little while. But I didn't move for 30 minutes. And boy, my knees were killing me afterwards. But it was so worth it. Because I got down like this and I spoke to Devlin. Man to man. Person to person. Broken person to broken person. And I'm not saying that to say, follow my example. I certainly didn't invent that. But it's interesting to note that as Jesus 
approached his disciples to wash their feet, there's no way he could have done it standing up. And we're talking about the king of the the, the creator God in human form got down on his knees and he performed a task that was meant for the lowest of human life at the time. Look, children did not wash their parents' feet. We're talking about not even slaves, like the lowest scum on earth did perform these tasks. It was reserved for the lowest of human life. And here we see the Savior of the world down on one knee, washing his disciples' feet one by one. I have had the extreme honor of having taken part in foot washing two or three times in my, three or four times in my life. The last one was about a year ago this time, and some of our seniors that just graduated surprised us after stir one night and had one of these back rooms all set up, and they just kind of let us in there, and I knew my heart sank. Why did it sink? I was so, so prideful, and I was so afraid. It happens every time. They washed mine and my wife's feet. We're talking about 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. The most humbling experience of my life. And, and folks, all I could do, this wasn't Jesus washing my feet. These were our students. But all I could do was cover my face like this. All I could do for 30 minutes was cover my face and cry. I'm not a crier. Anyone who knows me knows that. My wife makes up for that for me. I love you. It's, it's spirit-led tear, baby. But I sat there and cried with my face covered because that's all I could do. That's all I could do. And if I think about that moment long enough, the lump comes up in my throat right now and I can't continue. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus reveals the ultimate truth about his work here on earth. When he washes his disciples' feet. Side note, did it ever occur to you that Judas betrayed Jesus with clean feet? And Jesus knew this. See, we're all like Judas sometimes. Keeping our mouths shut, not raising a ruckus. So close to the truth, and yet so far away. Never fully surrendering. Folks, folks, some of you in this room, some of us in this room are so close to the truth. You've been in church your whole life. You claim to know Jesus your whole life. And the thing that is separating you from salvation, redemption, healing, breakthrough this morning is your pride. Your pride will send people to hell. See, Devlin spoke some truth there when he said most of the Christians that I've met are arrogant and they have all the answers. You know what I said to him? I didn't say you're wrong. I said you're right. You're exactly right. We have done a 
poor job of representing the heart of who Jesus is to our world. Right? Amen? Man, we have done a poor job of representing the true Jesus to the world. We do not have all the answers, folks. We, we are not qualified to answer all the deep theological questions. All we're qualified to do is say, yes, I once was lost, and now I am found. I used to be dead, and now I'm alive. Praise God. I'm no better than you. By the grace of God, I've stepped into a relationship with Jesus, and even that, even my decision to do so was him, his grace doing that in me. So I can't take any credit for what Christ has done. I stand before you a broken person still. I am, eat, folks, I am eat up with pride. Talking about pride being the chief sin of humanity, pride is my chief sin. There's no doubt. See, we're all Judas at times. Clean on the outside, but nasty on the inside. Clean, pristine on the outside, but nasty on the inside. Dirty. But we also, this morning, have an opportunity to be Peter. See, there's Peter before and Peter after. And one sentence changed everything for him. He went from saying, you're not touching my feet, Jesus. When Jesus said, you can't be a part of anything I'm doing unless you humble yourself. Wash me all over from head to toe. So we have an opportunity to be like Peter this morning in that sense. Wash me clean, Lord, inside and out, head to toe, and I commit to doing that for others this morning. By the way, I've seen many leaders, whether in business or in the church, well-meaning, shirk responsibilities, delegate tasks to others, when oftentimes some of these tasks were meant for them to do, to set the example. For the express purpose of leading by example. I got to be better at that. I don't know about you. If you own a business or if, you, if you're just the, the, the head of your household, lead by example. Don't, do any, don't, don't ask your kids or your employees or your parishioners, your congregation to do anything you wouldn't be willing to do. See, there are two lessons from John 13. As we try to wrap up here. See, we say, I can fix me. I can get clean on my own. I can get clean on my own. I can appease my conscience. I can give some money. I can cry in worship service in our D now or Jesus Live weekend. I can have a, an emotional moment in church. And I can appease my conscience. I can ease that pain. And Jesus says, I, only I can do that. Jesus says, only I can make you clean. If your focus is anywhere else than, than the person of Christ, your focus needs to change. My focus needs to change. He says, I can make you clean, but you need to let me do it, or else you're going to stay dirty. Folks, or else you're going to stay dirty. You need to let me do this, or you're going to stay dirty. You can't be a part of what I'm doing if you don't do this, if you don't let me do this. Peter's response at that point, God loved Peter. He's, uh, 
tempestuous, he's rash, he's, 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 he's impulsive, but he's got it right here. He's got it right here. A change of heart happens quickly. He says, wash me head to toe, inside and out. I'm done with that former life. Jesus put himself low to serve his disciples that day. He washed their feet, and so doing, he set the example for all of us. And when you put yourself low for the sake of others, transformation happens, folks. When you put yourself low for the sake of others, students that went to New Orleans, does it, does it, is that not true? When you put yourself low, transformation happens. It does. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything he would not do himself or has not done himself. And Jesus' ultimate call in your life is to live a life of radical humility. It's to defer yourself. Defer to Jesus in all things. When we put ourselves low, we lift Jesus high. This morning, some of us are clean on the outside, but dirty on the inside. The, 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 the filth of sin habits are still there. There are for me as well. And, it, it, you know, I, I tell my students all this, look, if you could read my thoughts half the time, I, I would be disqualified in many people's eyes to serve in ministry. If you could read my thoughts, it might disqualify me. How can that guy be a pastor? How can that person minister to people? When their thoughts are so dark and so ugly, the truth is that we're all in the same boat. The truth is, most of the time, we walk around pristine on the outside and dirty on the inside. And only Jesus can wash us clean. Amen. Humble yourself before the living God this morning. Let him make you clean. And then follow the example of Jesus to put yourself low for the sake of others. It's real simple. There's two things. You can remember this. Get clean and go low. Get clean and go low. Get clean and go low. And they kind of go together. You can switch them and they work. Go low, get queen. Get, get queen. Who's the queen? God save the queen. Get clean and go low. Get clean and go low. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. There's no magic prayer to this. God, I humble myself before you right now. God of the universe, I, you, I, you owe me nothing. I owe you everything. You have done it all. For me, my thoughts are dark. My words and my actions hurt people. I'm arrogant. I'm prideful. I'm angry. I'm dissatisfied with you, Jesus. You alone should be the satisfaction of my heart, and yet everything and anything else can take my attention, can grab my heart. But today, as we pray together, God, we humble ourselves before you. Jesus, this task that you performed 
for you disciples is stunning to say the least. It's heartbreaking. And yet, it was vital. It had to happen. Jesus, you came to serve, not to be served. I can only imagine if you're, as you were standing, sitting there listening to your disciples argue over who would be the greatest. And, and, and there's no way we can cast stones at them because we do it all the time. God, I pray specifically for, for hearts like Devlin's in, in New Orleans. God, that he would encounter believers that are extremely radically humble. They don't have all the answers, but they just know they've been transformed by the love of Jesus. Father, in this moment, as we turn to worship, God, I pray that you would do a work in us, God, that would replace us on the thrones of our hearts with you. That you would do something in us, God, that the world just can't give us. That you would undo some of the things that we have been taught or we have looked at culture, God, way too much. God, help us not to take our cues from culture. Help us to take our cues from Scripture and the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit first. If we do that, we probably see that many of our preferences in life run contrary to truth. Father, there is no room in the kingdom for pride. It is the root sin. It is a sin that leads to all others. And and God, we humbly pray that you would wash us clean this morning. There is an altar where we sit. There is an altar at the foot of the cross here. We invite you, if, if you feel the need to go and get before the Lord, you do that. This time is for us to enjoy the presence of God just for a few moments before we say amen. God, do your work. Holy Spirit, do your work. Apart from the cross, this may be the most stunning moment in the life of Jesus. The God of the universe, needing nothing, humbling himself to the lowest of humanity, as low as a human could go, for us, this story is not just about those disciples that got their feet washed that night. A few moments later, Jesus would be led away in chains. And hours later, he would be put on a cross. What a way to put a bow on his ministry here, to lower himself. He says, I have done this to you for your sake. Now you do it for others. Folks, God is asking us and, 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 encourage, and, and challenging us this morning, wanting us to put ourselves low for the sake of our world, our neighbors, our families, our friends, our loved ones. And as we respond, what should be on our hearts 
is the overwhelming humility of Christ. The overwhelming love, the great lengths he went to. To lay himself down wholly and completely so that you and I could have life. Father, take this time. We offer up ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen.